0: Welcome one and all to episode 283 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Sunday, March 24th, 2019 episode of the SLS cast because it turns out that Sunday, March 24th, 2019 is exactly 283 days from today. The day that our show is coming to your precious ears. Well, at least if you pick it up on Thursday when the episode dropped, then that's accurate. Otherwise, it's going to be less than 283 days. And I guess that's not important right now. And with that wonderful little bit of 283-day information, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our visiting Sony employee, Tim! How are you Hello, doing, Tim. Matthew? Are you still
1: drowning underneath the weight of Spanish
0: of espanol of schoolwork? Not unbearably so. I am currently treading water, but we shall see we shall see how it goes um uh, I, the, today was was remarkably light. I was very glad um but tomorrow will be pretty rough i have to do uh, on top of all the homework and everything else that has to get done i think there's a an end of chapter thing that has to be done and an oral presentation that has to be done
1: Ooh, who doesn't like a good oral presentation
0: people who haven't had the lovely experience of a good oral presentation tend to not like oral presentations
1: like have you ever had a bad experience with an oral presentation
0: well, I think all of us have had, shall we say, suboptimal oral presentations, uh, both presenting and having them presented, but I don't think I've ever experienced such a terrible oral presentation that I no longer enjoy oral presentations.
1: What was both the worst oral presentation that you have heard and what is the worst oral presentation you have given?
0: Well, subject wise, subject wise. Oh, we're we're not doing double entendres anymore. Oh, um, well, um, I mean, I mean, it still could be because if you said
1: <laughs> my or my the worst oral presentation I've ever heard was all about. I don't know. Anything to do with minors and child board games is usually uh, a pretty raunchy, horrible double... Whatever that word is. Double menage a (laughs) twanja? Double
0: untundra.
1: Double untundra.
0: There you go. Do you ever actually say double rotunda? No, I don't. But I'm also... Well-versed in saying double entendre.
1: Matthew, but, you know. I- I've been wanting to ask you for a while now. Have you ever gotten hmm. to, uh incense? I'm sorry? Have you ever gotten into incense?
0: No. I am just never been an incense kind of guy. Really? I don't hate on those who enjoy it, but I have always found it to be... Despite the fact that there are different aromas uh, available in the realm of incense... Um, it's usually just the generic incense smell, kind of clovish slash allspice kind of smell. That uh, you go into the hippie shop at the uh, farmer's market and it's overpowering you and you're just kind of like, dear God, make it stop and yet it won't. But your significant other wants to shop there and so you're stuck inside for like 15 minutes.
1: How often do you A, go to a farmer's market and B, frequent the hippie shop within said farmer's market?
0: It's been about 15 years or so, Oh, but it's literally indelibly ingrained upon my mind and my psyche as a whole, and it was that traumatic. I just... Yeah, and so I'm not a big fan of incense at all. I have had some friends who dug incense big time, and yet they had different they 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 use different aromas and they and it was never overpowering but even then i just kind of like no thanks
1: it's not your bag yeah it's just not my bag you prefer you prefer a good yankee candle
0: precisely actually my uh my wife has gotten into the um the the wax melts right so you buy the little uh you buy the little lamp and it's got the little shallow bowl that sets that rests upon the top of the lamp and you drop This the little... isn't
1: secretly like a sexual device that you're no, no, telling me no, about no, right now. Okay. Literally. You've not okay. you've not heard of
0: the wax melts? Like that's a, that's the uh, thing. Like if I've you go to Yankee of, Candle, I mean, if, seriously, if you go to Yankee Candle, you can see the little miniature candles in the small jar, oh, the yes. medium jar, I see. I the know big what you jar. Mean.
1: It's like it's like a pool of wax that heats up yeah. and it smells delightful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and so okay. they got
0: those little wax cubes, look like an ice cube, but of wax, and then you drop it in there and it melts, and then you get the smell. Yeah. So Jen's into those, and so we have a couple of those in the house, and so you can drop the. So we do that. Buttercream? Is that the scent you guys go for? Buttercream or... Actually, I don't know what we have in there now. I think we have some kind of uh, vanilla something or other. I don't know. It's pleasant. But but why? Why, why do you uh, seek knowledge and in inquiry about incense? I, I assume that you... I, I assume you had somewhere you were wanting to go with that. Before my diatribe, anyway. I
1: currently am sitting in front of a big box of hem, precious patchouli incense cones that I recently purchased from this online store you may or may not have heard of called Amazon. And I also purchased from Amazon this (laughs) incense pyramid dealio that helps disperse said incense cone once you ignite it with a torch flame. The scent I am enjoying right now is man. Actually, it kind of pisses me off because the box says Mandarin. But then when you pull the little dude out and you're kind of looking at it, it says Tangerine. Yeah, on the site. So here it says Mandarin. Conos de Incenso. And then flip it over this way. Tangerine. Incense cones. Is tangerine in Spanish? Mandarina? I don't know. But that is what I am
0: smelling right now. Well, uh, Okay. That's good to know, I guess. But yeah, tangerine is uh, la mandarina in Spanish, or naranja.
1: Ooh, bilingual! I like it, Matthew. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So now I'm getting back
1: into this incense <laughs> stuff because back when I lived alone, it masked the smell of certain precious odors that may or may not have frequented Your my dwelling. <laughs> What's that?
0: You're, that may have frequented your neighborhood when you first moved out there. <laughs> <laughs> you were in a pretty rough part of town. May not, have, may not have been the best smelling part
1: of town, you know? Talking about, uh, you may not have heard of it, cannabis, the smell of cannabis and the, the smell. Anyways, in said sense, have been frequenting my newer place and said incense makes things a little bit groovier. Well, good. If not, makes it more obvious.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, I I am fairly certain that those uh, hippie shops, you know, the the hippie marts or whatever at the old farmers markets back in the day, uh, were definitely a massive source of the ganja. Uh, And they probably used the incense to cover the smell of that as well.
1: And speaking of covering the smell of something, Should we spend just a little bit of time talking about this
0: article here, John Lasseter to exit Disney at the end of the year? We should, and I would like to just point out before we get into this, um, something, I mean, you you had sent me the, you'd hit me up on Twitter earlier today, and I I had actually saw, I saw it on Friday evening, I saw the article, and so I was a little bit uh, disappointed that they th- this was literally dropped on a friday so that people wouldn't see it um, and wouldn't really raise a stink about it and um yeah um it- it's it's definitely pretty irritating as far as that goes because it- it's it's just irritating that they dropped this but what is it that they dropped on a Friday so that people would notice?
1: Dropped via The Hollywood Reporter at 3.05 p.m. Written by Greg Kilday, John Lasser to exit Disney at end of the year. Uh, and quickly here, I'm going to read a little bit of it. Directors Pete Doctor and Jennifer Lee are expected to take on added roles at Pixar in Disney animation as Lasseter leaves the two animation studios after having admitted to, quote, missteps, end quote, John Lasseter, the creative force behind Pixar Animation and Walt Disney Animation, is officially exiting his post as chief creative officer of both animation studios at the end of this year. The Walt Disney Company said Friday, his departure follows his admission last year, that he had committed unspecified missteps that left some employees feeling, quote, disrespected or uncomfortable, end quote. He will have a consulting role with the company until December 31st. Disney did not immediately name replacements for Lasseter, but animators Pete Doctor, who directed Inside Out, and Jennifer Lee of Frozen are expected to take on added responsibilities at Pixar in Disney Animation, respectively. In announcing Lasseter's departure, Disney chairman and CEO Bob Iger said, quote, John had a remarkable tenure at Pixar and Disney Animation, reinventing the animation business, taking breathtaking risks, and telling original high-quality stories that will last forever. We are profoundly grateful for his contribution, which included a masterful and remarkable turnaround of the Walt Disney Animation Studios, one of John's greatest achievements is assembling a team of great storytellers and innovators with the vision and talent to set the standard in animation for generations to come. End quote. Laster also issued a statement saying, quote, The last six months have provided an opportunity to reflect on my life, career, and personal priorities, while I remain dedicated to the art of animation and inspired by the creative talent At Pixar and Disney, I have decided the end of this year is the right time to begin focusing on new creative challenges. I am extremely proud of what two of the most important and prolific animation studios have achieved under my leadership, and I'm grateful for all the opportunities to follow my creative passion at Disney. And I'm just going to end that article there. If I remember correctly, John Lasseter became the chief head honcho at disney and pixar in 2006 i want to say i'm quickly trying to scan the article to see if they make any mention of it i'm not seeing it right off the bat so he that's when he became like the head honcho since then we've had cars cars 2 we've had finding dory we've had brave frozen inside out yada 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 all those movies however Before he became the head of whatever his title was, we still also had Monsters Incorporated, Finding Nemo, Bugs Life, Toy Story. Now, I don't have the information right in front of me at this moment. I believe he was still a part of Disney Pixar during the beginnings.
0: Beginnings of what?
1: Like with Toy Story. Was he still involved with Pixar during Toy
0: Story? Here in the article, uh, it says that he started at... He he started in nineteen seventy nine at Lucasfilm and then he ended up being one of the founders of Pixar. This was of course after he had been fired. Uh he went to uh he went on to found Pixar after being fired from Disney because he was trying to tell everybody, look, man, computer animation, it's the way of the future. You know, but we don't have to get rid of traditional animators and Disney the Disney company fired him. Um so by nineteen ninety five, yeah, they had already done Toy Story then they followed with Bugs Life, Monsters, Inc. And then 2006 was when he eventually came back um, to, uh, to, to Disney as the chief creative officer of both Pixar and Walt Disney Animation Studios. But I also don't think
1: he is the all-knowing being that is the body and soul of every Pixar movie. I think Pete Doctor will do just fine. Eh. I think others can step up and do the job just as well, and maybe bring something different to the table. I think this is a good thing. I think it's, you know, he's, for one thing, he's been chief whatever dude. Head, I'll just stick with head honcho. For 12 years, I mean, let's bring somebody else in and see where these Disney Pixar movies go. Okay. But I know this is not what we're talking about, really, right now, but I don't think we're we're necessarily losing anybody that high and mighty.
0: You forget that he's literally been... <laughs> so while he was still trying to maintain pixar and yes pixar um did did stall out with uh some sequels like um uh like cars 2 cars 2 was the first time that they actually had a not fresh movie um and but they bounced back very well with cars 3 um they did have the sequels start coming or prequels, as it were in in terms of Monsters Inc. but at the same time these were these were projects that had been gestating for a while and yet were immensely demanded by the public, so this wasn't just a we're going you know we're gonna run the well till it's dry, although hey, Toy Story Four seems to be bucking this trend uh so we'll see how that goes but um. Yeah, Toy Story 2 is, was fantastic, Toy Story 3, whatever. But at the means, but also, he took the, he took the flagging Disney animation division and salvaged that. And, and you, you forget that, um, Moana, um, Frozen, uh, Zootopia, all those movies, Princess and the Frog, all those movies happened under his, leadership and so at the same time yes pixar kind of suffered a little bit but walt disney started picking up the slack this is one guy doing both jobs and of course it's hard as they say you know no one person can serve you know two masters or whatever um and and so i can see where at some point somebody would have to you know pick up the slack on either one or both ends but at the end of the day, what upsets me about this move is that Disney isn't taking a stand either way for what has happened and what's transpired. They're not backing Lassiter and saying, look, he learned his lesson. Uh, this is the result of his uh, his transgression, intended or not. Uh, he's got to step down or he's got to have a reduced capacity or he's out altogether um no it's it's there it's 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 not a statement or a referendum on whether or not like we discussed last time someone is capable of coming back from something like this uh it's uh we're just going to keep him quiet keep it quiet let him con- you know let let him be a um what is the good lord a, a, not a contractor but a consultant consultant thank you we're gonna let him consult and be in the background quietly not really doing much but at the same time still being able to do what he's good at and then at the end of the year he'll wrap up his projects that he's probably been working on and had things in the pipeline because sure he's not been at the office but i promise you he's still been taking phone calls and emails and what have you you've got all that going on as well but then to make matters worse so now it's just this consultant in the background that's going to be quiet and then he just kind of fades away at the end of the year so not only is he not kicked out which is what people ultimately would want no he just kind of fades away but at the same time disney's not backing him either by saying aha we're gonna stand up for whatever this guy's done for us for all these years and then moreover they dump the story on a friday afternoon So that it hits all the, so that doesn't really hit any media cycles and people over the weekend don't care. So they're not really taking a stand either way. It's just this milquetoast, half-assed compromise that doesn't do anything to help the Me Too movement or to help those, like Woody Allen had talked about last week, that are getting hit in the crossfire, right, wrong, or indifferent, to help kind of settle this debate somewhat and sure you can go back and forth on the merits of his career and its trajectory over the last 10 years but i don't know and and i'm i guess maybe i'm a little more forgiving in that aspect than tim you are but and that's not to say that pete doctor won't do a great job or that um jennifer lee won't do a great job either I just, I don't know, I I, I just think that Disney, this milk toast, this this milk toast application of what's happened here is just completely disheartening to me. I
1: do also forget that he did direct, in addition to Cars and Cars 2, John Lasseter did in fact direct Toy Story 2, A Bug's Life, and Toy Story. He did direct the original Pixar short, Luxo Jr., is that the lamp?
0: Yeah, Luxo Jr.? Yeah.
1: yeah, I think that was one of the first ones, and Tiny Toy, which is what helped inspire making the Toy Story movies. It sucks, but I definitely can see where you're coming from. It now kind of ticks me off, thinking about it some more, that Disney did not take a stance. It's a little disheartening not seeing anybody actually reporting that and taking any issue with that. Because you know, if it pertained to somebody else, if it pertained to another studio involved with that other person, you know we would be hearing about it. And all the movie sites, all the entertainment sites, we would be hearing about it, and people would want answers. Like, they would be scouring Disney trying to get an executive to comment on this. Right. But for some reason, everybody's... Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. It's It's kind of weird. Everybody's pretty quiet about it yeah it's it's a little funky but also i don't really see laster fully going away i have a feeling they're going to keep him on in some way as a consultant like it it might be under the table it might be for free he might not be getting paid for it because
0: or they'll just move him to like parks division so he can go and help with imagineering I mean... Oh,
1: that parks. I was thinking of, like, parks and recreation. Huh, no, yeah. no, like,
0: literal <laughs> parks division. Because- but it's
1: like, you know, he's going to be getting payment for not being there, you know? Like, he's, he's getting retirement or whatever, so he's going to be getting a ton of money. I could, in some weird way, see him go, I love Disney so much, I love this, I'm going to consult for free, therefore he necessarily wouldn't have to be on the books. Right. Yet he's still getting paid.
0: Yeah, and and that's not to say he can't go off, at, you know, next year and make his own independent firm and just start doing short films again or passion projects and what have you. Um I I just again, I know that in terms of what he his track record of production of film um, or animation whatever, you know, how you want to say it, all these movies and stuff for both Disney and for Pixar clearly the record stands for themselves the money that he's brought in has just been ungodly um the resurgence in computer animation and everything that we have today can almost singly single-handedly be handed to pixar um and yet and and so that's that's not a lot of stuff you can easily dismiss i just really wish that disney had either right wrong or indifferently I wish that Disney had made a decision and stuck with it. He's either out and that's it. Or we keep, we're keeping him because we believe that he's earned a second chance in whatever context you want to, you know, pare it down. Um, but, but they didn't do that at all. And I just don't see how this is a win for anybody, especially for those who feel that they've been victimized by him or those who believe that despite, the culture that existed aspects of it were still what were still responsible for giving the world all of the movies that pixar and subsequently 2006 beyond disney animation gave us um and and, and that's and there that's it i guess so that's all i have to say about that ba-dum, ba-dum, bum, bum, bum.
1: <laughs> and I have nothing else to add. It's something that we should have talked about and and not waited until next episode.
0: Oh no, I agree. I agree. I'm glad and and I had honestly totally forgotten about it. Um so I'm glad you remembered because otherwise, yes, I would have forgotten to bring it up. So, good catch, good call. Glad we talked about it. <sighs> That's why I get paid
1: $895 per episode.
0: Sweet. I didn't realize that awesome where's my cut (laughs) (laughs) all right well they're going to war bonds that's where we put matthew's cut into war bonds yeah that's right not junk bonds but war bonds they might be the same thing right now we don't know anyway fun little bonus discussions uh, we didn't even have our music. We could have had, like, oh, we totally ruined it. It could have been a discussions with Matt and Tim for the first time in, like, <laughs> two years or something like that. But that's not what we're doing today, folks. Nope. <laughs> nope. We're doing a...
1: What an awkward seg- segue into a segment. What? No, it was perfect. <laughs> that was a, we're doing a, and then that
0: was going to be three squared. And, you, you, we, we, and then, as soon as I said, we're doing A, then you could just drop in the, that's why I left it quiet, so you could drop in the three squared.
1: Or, I drop it right now. Which I won't.
0: Damn it! I was like, I was gonna let it go! I was like, okay, that's fun too, that'll be, cause then it's funny! And now, you know, god <laughs> damn it. Alright, whatever. Thirty Squared time on three squared (laughs) we've totally fucked it all up (laughs) we're doing our picks for ensemble heist films yes we haven't done this for almost a year as well back in uh episode 240 it's been a while since we've done that so we're doing our favorite ensemble heist movies yeehaw Okay. So my picks for ensemble heist films. Now we, we did want to make sure that we stress the word ensemble because there are movies that are heist movies that have maybe two or three primary characters that you've heard of, but not really a, not a true ensemble cast where you've got like five, six people, um, coming in to do fun stuff. And so we really wanted to focus on the ensemble thing because, you know, Hey, we're talking about Ocean's Eight this week and what better way to talk about a Oceans 8 an ensemble heist movie than picking our favorite ensemble heist movies and that's why we did them that way so here we go um me I've got I'm gonna be doing mine in order of uh 3-2-1 so the number three spot here for my three squared is 2001's heist
2: hey buddy you forgot your change. makes the world go round what's that gold some people say love. Yeah, they're right, too. It is love. Love of gold. I would say it's his road game. Nobody gets the goods like you, Joe. Well, anybody can get the goods. The hard parts get away. the way. Plan a good enough getaway, you could steal Abbott's Field. Abbott's Field's gone. what did I tell you? We got the go ahead. we got a firm date on a Swiss thing. He's broke his tire and cops are looking for him. I gotta get out of town. I gotta go. I give you the money now and you're gone. I bankroll this job on your say-so. Hey, what do you want from me? I want you to do the other thing! Walk away from it. You can't run. You know they'll hunt you down. Joe! I gotta fight it out. Where are you going with this? I'm gonna stand this thing on his head. Plan has changed. I need you to suit up. It's a good plan. How'd you figure it out? Go, go, go. Uh, I tried to imagine a fellow smarter than myself. And then I tried to think, what would he do? We got your gold. Where's the gold?
1: What was the deal? Well, the deal was we get away with the gold. And then what? We slip away. You slip away?
2: Take the money, goes down some tropic eye. You think you're gonna just sail away? I was gonna make you rich, and you've just become more trouble than you're worth. Well, you wanna tell me what made you a criminal? What made you a criminal? Nothing made me a criminal, I am a criminal. I hate to do anything as dramatic as count to three. Yeah, she's the go-getter.
0: I'm the go-getter, you tell me
2: what you want me to go get. Ain't you a piece of work? Is that a question? She could talk her way out of a sunburn. Gene Hackman, Danny DeVito, Delroy Lindo, Sam Rockwell, Rebecca Pigeon, and Ricky Jay. Is it gonna be cool? He's so cool when he goes to bed, sheep count him. In a film written and directed by David Mamet. Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. Feist.
0: And it is a crime thriller film written and directed by David Mamet. It stars Gene Hackman, Danny DeVito, and Delroy Lindo. But an excellent, excellent supporting cast. And this is why I feel it uh, is an ensemble cast. Because it's got Re- Rebecca Pigeon, Ricky Jay, one of, just a fantastic uh, Ricky J is a really fantastic character actor. Uh, and Sam Rockwell, an early Sam Rockwell appearance as well. And, uh, all in supporting roles, playing different parts of the team. Uh, and what this movie is, is it is basically a gold heist, but it's pitting two groups of, uh, it's it's pitting this group of professional thieves against the backdrop of a, uh, against the the crew's fence and so the head of the thieves is played by gene hackman but the fence is played by danny devito and to and that's the crux of this movie yes it is a gold heist it's a heist movie uh you've got the ensemble aspect in terms of uh hackman's team of thieves but it's watching hackman and devito try and outsmart one another Throughout the course of this film and come back and forth bouncing all over the place. It's fantastic. I absolutely love the interplay and the intrigue that these characters bring. Now, this movie is not a super huge hit. It actually uh did not make money at the box office. It had a $39 million budget back in the day. Box office only cleared $28.5 million. So not a huge hit in terms of that, but I thoroughly enjoy this movie. I think it's a great movie. It's a highly underrated heist movie, and I definitely recommend you check it out. Next up for me is... Uh, now, these next two movies, definitely movies you guys have heard of, um, and that was also another reason why I really wanted to put Heist 2001's heist on the list, uh, because I wanted something that maybe you hadn't heard of or weren't completely familiar with, but in terms of ensemble movies i mean you got to go with good ensemble casts and that usually means big names uh, and oftentimes award winning uh movies and in the case of my next two picks they are but they are just quintessential uh both for the time period that they came out, and for what they are. So from 1995, I've got The Usual Suspects. Now, we've talked about Usual Suspects several times on the show uh, in various iterations. I know that we actually, I'm pretty sure we talked about this way, way, way back when in our favorite Twist Endings episode. Um, and we've definitely talked about this in terms of always mentioning Kevin Spacey and things like that. As well as great performances from the likes of Gabriel Byrne, um, even Chaz Palmentary, Kevin Pollack. I mean, come on. Even, you know what? For, for fuck, for fuck's sake, Stephen Baldwin, guys, come on. He even he puts in a halfway decent performance here. It was great. So, if you don't know what this is, of course, it, well, here, just, it's the usual suspects.
2: Usually, when there is a crime, there is a motive. I want to know why. 27 men died on that pier for what looks to be $91 million worth of dope that wasn't there. Usually, when there is a lineup, there's only one real suspect. This whole thing was a shakedown. There. And there's no way they'd line five felons in the same room. But this is not the usual crime. This is not the usual motive. He was in the harbor killing many men. Kaiser Schizze! He saw Kaiser Sosa. And these are not the usual suspects. Keaton. I'm a businessman. McManus. There's nothing that can't be done. Hockney. What, you got a team of monkeys working around the clock on this? Fenster. Flip you. Flip you for real. Verbal Kent. Roger, really? People say I talk too much. He doesn't know what you want to know. I don't think he does. Not exactly. But there's a lot more to his story, believe me is what it seems the greatest trick the devil ever pulled here. was convincing the world i know he's here. he didn't exist you've got to look beyond the usual suspects
0: yeah 1995 neo-noir mystery films directed by brian singer uh, written by christopher McQuarrie, as a matter of fact so stars again stephen baldwin gabriel byrne chaz palmitary kevin pollock pete possible Pos- kevin spacey susan Am- uh, Ami, benicio del toro and giancarlo esposito and remember this is kind of the this was kind of one of those movies that put kevin spacey like completely on the map back in the day and just two words should should give that to you kaiser soze so um it, it's a, just a fantastic movie um I mean, never have chills run through my spine with such giddiness as the time that I first heard Kevin Spacey utter the words, and just like that, he was gone. I mean, was—you know, come on, I mean, it's great, it's great. So that is definitely uh, one of the reasons why it's on the list. Not to mention the heist aspect is one of the best heist movies where the heist goes completely sideways this is when you know most of the time the whole point of the heist movie is watching the is watching how a heist gets pulled off successfully that's that's why you're going in there these are master criminals and yet something that makes the usual suspects so good is watching the heist go sideways it's fantastic um, last but not least is yet another uh, well, very well known movie. Uh, not quite as big in the award winning department, but still nonetheless uh, groundbreaking in and of itself. And comes a little bit earlier than the usual suspects. Also featuring a heist going sideways. 1992's Reservoir Dogs.
2: Face! your names. Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? Who cares what your name is? Yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool sounding name. Let's go to White. What happens if the manager won't give you the diamonds? Cut off one of his fingers. The little one. If they hadn't it done what I told them not to do, they'd still be alive. You're acting like a first year thief. I'm acting like a professional. And your Some no choice at all. Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Tierney, and Michael Madsen. They're the Reservoir Dogs. Hey, I'm going this guy.
0: That's right. Written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. Movie stars uh, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Tierney, Michael Madsen, and Quentin Tarantino. Uh, don't forget, though, that you also have Stephen Wright. Yes, Stephen Wright as K-Billy DJ, where the sounds of the 70s survived. Uh, so you got, uh, just a great, great ensemble cast here. And the level of violence in, in something that would ultimately become mainstream, virtually hitherto unknown, uh, is just completely landmark and another reason why quentin tarantino has been uh where he's been at for the last 26 years at this point uh with reservoir dogs really putting him on the putting him on the map though he would later become known for pulp fiction uh just a fantastic movie really really cool to watch how all of these different interlocking parts come together to see yet again the heist gone wrong um if for whatever reason you haven't seen this movie yet you just absolutely got to see it i cannot recommend it enough so from three two and one heist 2001 the usual suspects from 1995 and reservoir dogs from 1992 what do you got there tim i had a lot of fun with this three
1: squared ensemble heist flicks are some of the most entertaining types of flicks in my opinion Because there are different flavors of your heist flick. You know, with ensemble heist flicks, you'll find various comedies, black comedies even, heists carried out with style, or even the entire flick was directed or shot in style. I hope the three that I choose in some way represents at least one of those different kind of flavors that you will find within not just A heist flick, but with an an ensemble heist flick. And these are just three of my absolute favorites. There are so many, so many I had to leave out. Especially one of them, Rafifi, which came out in 1955. That is one of the most stylish heist flicks ever made. But I just haven't seen that in such a long fucking time. I just didn't feel comfortable talking about it. But I will begin with the movie that did come out in 1955. Yes, that would be... The Lady Killers, directed by Alexander McKendrick.
2: Ealing Studios, inspired creators of the fabulous Lavender Hill Mob, now joyfully embark upon the crest of yet another crime wave. Using this sweetly innocent old lady as a bewildered, unsuspecting decoy, the hilariously infamous Alec Guinness prepares a masterstroke of villainy that only he could conjure up and carry through with such demoniacal glee. No plot was ever hatched with such satanic cunning as Guinness and his genial group of merry minstrels hit every high note in this delightfully different entertainment. True artists, every one of them. Who'd count the cost of such abandoned banditry? Who wouldn't risk a limb or two to join in such high-spirited highwaymanry? I said nobody wants to do it! I said... I said... Mr. I Harvey! I said nobody was to do Mrs. Loftsidey! Stop that! Mr. Lawson, put Mr. Harvey down. What are you doing? Who is Mrs. Locksided, may I ask? Alec Guinness triumphantly outdoes his laughter-loaded leadership of the Lavender Hill Mud as he involves his gruesome gang of lady killers in the season's most uproarious escapade.
1: And this was a film that was deemed at the time a unique black comedy crime movie. (laughs) And it was, of course, made by the wonderful Ealing Studios out there in Great Britain. Um, It was nominated for an Academy Award for original screenplay, and it won the BAFTA for its screenplay. So it was a well-liked movie. Within the cast, you have Alec Guinness, Cecil Parker, Herbert Lom, Peter Sellers, a young and unfamiliar to the silver screen at this time, Peter Sellers. Herbert Lom, he was Lieutenant Dreyfus in the Pink Panther movies. And then, of course, uh, you have Danny Green. But most importantly, you have Miss... Katie Johnson, yes, who plays little old woman who goes by the name of Miss Wilberforce, dear old sweet wonderful Wilberforce, who you just feel bad for her because she is the nicest, sweetest little old lady who lives by herself in London, right near the entrance to a railway tunnel. And unfortunately, she lives in the prime spot where these evildoers, led by Alec Guinness, his character is Professor Marcus. He is the mastermind behind the scheme. So they use her house. They rent out rooms. He makes it sound like that he and all these other ruffians that are part of his crew are musicians. This... Premise might sound very familiar, uh, especially if you're a fan of Tom Hanks and the Coen brothers, because they did in fact release their own version of the Lady Killers in the early to mid-2000s, where Tom Hanks played the Professor Marcus character, I forget what his name was in that film, but if you thought Tom Hanks was eerie and creepy... You just wait to see Alec Guinness as Professor Marcus, because he is absolutely creepy, and the makeup he has on is just absolutely eerie, and his way of turning on the charm and then going into the sinister nastiness, he can just do it at the the flip of a switch. What makes this movie wonderful, in my opinion, is they easily could have just killed Miss Wilberforce. However, she is... A very connected little old lady. She has friends that come over for afternoon tea. They eat crumpets, and they like to mix and mingle with one another. Right off the bat, she tells them all, she gossips to them that she has these these famous musicians living in her home. Now they're all very interested in them and wanting to see them perform. So it's all these little tiny things that aren't really that big of a deal, you know, uh, uh, isolated just become such a big deal, because what they are trying to achieve is highly illegal. A couple of these guys are murderers on the run, and if any of these women were going to rat on one of these men, they, in fact, would actually kill them. However, at the same time, they feel bad about killing this little old lady, Wilberforce. What makes this movie ever so unique As the movie progresses, they realize they have to get rid of this little old lady. And certain people can never just do it on their own. They chicken out. So the next tough person in line is the one that's forced to go kill her. But nobody is ever that successful in attempting to kill her because something else just as tragic or even more tragic happens to that person. I don't want to give away too much of it, especially if you haven't seen the Tom Hanks, Coen Brothers, Lady Killers movie. Please, even if you have seen it, do yourself a favor and go back and rewatch or watch The Lady Killers from 1955 with Al Guinness. It's an excellent heist film because the one who prevails is the unsuspected little mouse who doesn't necessarily roar. It just happens in such a way because she is a genuinely lovely human being next up on my list is one of my favorite john cleese and even jamie lee curtis flicks definitely my favorite michael palin movie is 1988's a fish called wanda directed by charles Crichton, based on a screenplay written by john cleese
2: otto is a man of many talents hey great fish a little squeeze of lemon, some tartar sauce. Ken is a man of few words. Tell him from me. George is the man with the plan. 13 millions, my friends. And Wanda. Do you speak Italian? Molto periculoso. Is the woman they love. They all set out to commit the perfect crime to 20 million. To a job well done. But it turned into something. George moved the loot. Less than perfect. Disappointed. So they turned to a lawyer named Archie Leach. Leach. George is going to tell him what the diamonds are. With Wanda as the bait. I want you to make love with me. Pop. Huh. Nothing. Nothing. He's really hooked. I thought you weren't jealous. I'm not. I don't believe in jealousy. It's for the weak. Come a girl as bright as you can brother who's so. Don't call me stupid. Are you totally deranged? You're afraid so, old chap. John please Will you leave immediately, please? Jamie Lee Curtis. Kiss me there. Kevin Kline. Put the other one up. Michael Palin. May I kiss you, Ken? No, you be A fish called wonder. A smashing. Oh, dear. Comedy.
1: The movie begins with George Thomason. He is a London-based gangster, and he hires two Americans wanda and otto west wanda is of course played by Jamie lee curtis and otto is played by kevin klein otto west is a sociopath pretty much he is a horrible human being and wanda who is a con artist throughout the entire movie you have to keep in mind you don't know if you should you well you definitely know you cannot trust otto west but you're not too sure if you should trust wanda or not They go, and they're hired to steal these jewels. And they go, and they steal those jewels. However, Wanda and Otto devise their own scheme to turn George into the police, so that they then can take all shares of the diamonds and make more of a profit. When George gets carted off to jail... They then find out that George actually hid the diamonds, and now they have no idea where these diamonds are located. The only thing they have, which they then find out, is that Ken Pyle, Michael Palin, he was technically George's accomplice, I suppose, hit one of his original accomplices, he had a key in one of his fish tanks, In. Ken Pyle, he is a animal lover through and through. He has a hilarious stutter. One of the best scenes, especially if you have seen this movie or if you have seen any scenes from this movie, I'm sure you have seen the classic fish-eating scene when Kevin Kline is trying to get information from Ken Pyle, stuttering st- st- stuttering, Ken Pyle by eating his goldfish from that fish tank one by one. And with each One of those fish that Otto swallows whole, Ken just, his soul just dies a little bit more. Then John Cleese comes along in the film. He plays the lawyer of George Thomason. However, in London, they are not called lawyers. Barristers, I think, is the correct wordage there. Wanda is then trying to seduce Archie Leach, persuading the barrister to make his client, George Thomason, plead guilty. In doing so, they will then know the location of where the diamonds are hidden. And so it's a wonderful film, a heist wrapped up in seduction. And it's an excellent film, both story-wise and character-wise. It's a great character study, or caricature study, if you want to look at it that way. If you haven't seen it, you should. Kevin Klein won an Oscar that alone deserves a viewing. And lastly, my number three pick is Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown, which came out in 1997.
2: Now hey, you gotta listen to this, man, because this concerns you, all right? If you had the chance to walk off the a half with would you take it? Yeah. What do a stewardess, a gunrunner, a bail bondsman, an ex-con, a federal agent, and a beach bunny have in common? You gonna come in on this thing with me, you got to be prepared to go all the way. They're all chasing a half-million in cash. It wouldn't be missed. Half a million dollars will always be this. Let him get the money and I'll just take it from him. She's trying to play your ass against me, huh? That was fun. Yeah, I don't really at the spot. So she and your girlfriend, Is that what you felt? Oh, I hope you felt appropriately guilty afterwards What's I did There's only one question. Man, I ain't getting in this trunk. You ain't gonna be in here no more than 10 minutes. Man, I ain't riding in no trunk for no minute. Who's playing who? Let's make a deal. Oh, yeah. So what's she gonna give us? Are you gonna offer to set him up? Yeah. I thought doing something stupid. Pam Grier, Samuel L. Jackson, Robert Forster, Bridget Fonda, Michael Keaton, and Robert De Niro. Is she dead? I, I, I. Yes or no? Is she dead? Pretty much. Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown.
1: This, of course, is Tarantino's most mature flick. It is also, in my opinion, one of his well written and easily likable flicks. This, of course, tells the story of Jackie Brown, a flight attendant for a budget airline. I forget exactly what it's called. One of her side jobs is smuggling money from Mexico for this guy named Ordell Robbie, who's played by Samuel L. Jackson. And he is, I guess he's like the head of a gang. I don't know, he doesn't really have a gang per se, but... He's one that needs money smuggled, and she's the one that he got to smuggle the money for him. Well, she gets caught at the airport by two police officers. One of them is played by Michael Keaton, and they give her an ultimatum. They say, we're not going to book you if you turn Ordell over. We need you to get him to confess. We just need you, whenever we arrest him, to testify against him. And she agrees to do this just so she can get out. Ordell hears about this, and he's not sure if he can trust Jackie Brown or not. Jackie Brown thinks that Ordell might come after her. So she goes to bell bondsman Max Cherry, who is wonderfully played here by Robert Forster, for help. And this is another movie where you're not exactly sure who Jackie Brown is playing. Because throughout the film, she is starting to bond with Max Cherry. A wonderful relationship blossoms. And uh, you would just hate to see Max Cherry get the egg on his face. That's what makes this movie fun. The heist, it doesn't really happen until the end of the flick, You have a star-studded cast, and if you haven't seen this flick, surprisingly a number of people have not, who claim to be Tarantino fans, have not seen Jackie Brown. You've got to check it out. Well-written, well-paced, it's an incredibly well-thought-out heist to where you feel your heart pounding a little bit, but it takes place in a mall you find yourself surprised that it it affects you in such a way. Like, you want to see everything work out. You want to see her get to safety without Ordell popping out and pop her. Again, my three ensemble heist flicks for this three squared. The Lady Killers from 1955, A Fish Called Wanda, 1988, and finally, Jackie Brown, 1997
0: right on right on next week we're going to be doing a copycat throwdown we're going to be comparing 1972's superfly versus superfly from 2018 i don't know what i was about to say i think i was about to to say 1972 again i don't know why because that would not make sense. Maybe I'm the movie maybe. was
1: so good they remade it that same year.
0: That's right. Sorry, so 1972's Superfly versus 2018's Superfly. So that's what we're gonna be doing. And now I believe it is time for the movies, is it not, sir? Movie it up. Alright, here we go, folks. It's the movie
2: we, we <laughs>
0: movies are Oceans 8, Hereditary, and Hotel Artemis. What do you want to start? Okay,
1: I'm going to go with least favorite. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess this might be your least favorite. I'm going to go with Hotel Artemis.
0: Ah, Hotel Artemis.
2: The most violent riot in California history. Three minutes. Open the ball now! Oh, that's real nice. You don't want it. No, I really do. Uh, Hit the ground now! I need to make a call. Hello. How can I help? Easy, fellas. Everybody's gonna get fixed up. Now verify your memberships, and we're off to the races. The Ottomans is a secret hospital for criminals. I thought you were done with all this. I got out, but you know how it goes. You're never out. Not a I thought
0: this place
1: was a myth. We've been here for 22 years.
2: This hospital was built on two things. Trust. and rules. You see that badge? That means I'm a healthcare professional.
1: You're an arms dealer, right? Well, don't push my
2: buttons. Don't you do that. I'm a professional, but this woman, she's the business. If you knew what she could do to you with just that cup of coffee. You're lucky this place has rules. The Ottomans isn't safe for us, because it is. It's a portable vault. Worth about 18 million. Wolf King's probably going to want those back. Okay, this is a real problem. It's here. Open the gate. That's against the rules. The rules? Without the rule breakers, honey, where would you be? I guess my ballroom days are over, baby. Showtime. There's a war zone up here gonna make it out of here we can do it together this is what i do visiting hours are never busy night at the artemis you know you might want to buy
1: some scented candles or something because it smells like somebody died in here
2: they did
0: all right so hotel artemis 2018 american dystopian neo-noir crime film uh written and directed by drew Pierce, uh, this movie stars, um, Jodie Foster, Sterling K. Brown, uh, Sophia Butella, Jeff Goldblum, Brian Ch- Tyree Henry, Jenny Slate, Zachary Quinto, Charlie Day, and Dave Bautista. Um, so, yeah, this movie, All right so so basically what we're seeing is a film set in Los Angeles in the I don't I don't know how distant the future is probably within the next 30 to 50 years I presume um the uh the 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 the, the idea here is that there is this hotel. Um, it's called Hotel Artemis. The hotel itself has been pretty much put out of business, but the top floor is a hospital for criminals. Jodie Foster is the nurse who runs the hospital. And, um, you know, she, and that's, and that's basically, you know, this is just supposed to be another Wednesday right just another wednesday as she says when she wakes up uh she kind of lives in the past as evidenced by the music which is pretty much just 70s music outside of the score um i'm sorry not even 70s like 60s music and um yeah and so you uh, in, in a side plot that's supposed to add uh both to the dystopian aspects as well as uh be a big huge plot device there is a riot going on over water because the corporation bought the water supply of california and privatized water and is now basically telling people up can't have water too bad so to compound everything that's going on on her everyday wednesday um She's got a couple of guys who are coming in who, uh, after a failed robbery attempt, uh, they're coming in and she's already got some beds, but hey, whatever. Um, she can take them in. Shenanigans subsequently ensue and shit goes down at the Hotel Artemis. What will everyone do? Now, um, the, the, the thing about this movie is that there's really interesting character work going on here and I, I and and i like the idea behind the characters um i i don't necessarily like how they were implemented per se and the story um the, the budget for this movie was only 15 million and it shows but at least it shows in a again neo-noir stylized way they also kept it very localized so the vast majority of the action happens in one area and the thing is though is that even though there are very interesting characters for so for example Jodie Foster who I'm sorry look I have had nothing but respect for Jodie Foster over the course of her career but dear God, I don't know if it was the makeup or what. I couldn't decide if she looked more like um, Eric Stoltz or Michael J. Fox today. I don't know. Maybe it's just age combined with makeup job for the movie. But it was really distracting. And I'm sorry, I had to bring that up. She literally looks like this weird hybrid of Eric Stoltz and Michael J. Fox today like how they look today blended and that's Jodie Foster's face now anyway um but you you see that you know like the, like she shuffles around and that's kind of her thing um she is very much in a routine uh, she's an alcoholic um and and so again really kind of cool idea behind what's going on there um and but then you and then you have character like Dave Bautista who I you know I, I get that he's you know a meathead with heart but by god he he does seem to have some acting chops in there um and and it's kind of fun to watch which way he goes and and if you want to see you know some range on the guy definitely check out he has a very small role in Blade Runner 2049 and so I would you know highly recommend you check that out he's in it's it's in the first 15 minutes so you don't even have to watch the whole movie um so when i see Dave bautista in a role like this it's it's fun i i like seeing that sterling k brown uh is in the film as well and he plays uh waikiki they go by code names based on the room that they're in uh so that you know they can maintain their anonymity did i just say anonymity an anonymity (laughs) <laughs> sorry and then that and then then and then don't hurt yourself kid anyway um so he he is like the smooth uh hero type guy you know the the anti-hero but still the guy that you want to be whatever stand-up dude even though he's a criminal whatever um so again you've got all these kinds of things but they're but every character is just severely overplayed. they're completely overplayed, and quite frankly, Charlie Day is the worst offender um I am you know, okay, you know how in life the vast majority of people do one job, right. Um you might you you might shift careers or something like that, but generally you're an accountant you're a teacher uh you work for you know you you work for a studio of some form or fashion or you work in retail or something like that sometimes you'll shift a career or do something really cool and you get to kind of try a few things but primarily, you do one thing, and there's no shame in that you're good at your job, it makes you happy it provides you the funds to live the life that you want to live. And God bless you for it. Charlie Day needs to stick to It's Always Sunny. And, and he can do that. He, you know, especially with the amount of money that actors make. By God, just do that. Just, just do that. You don't have to do anything else because I haven't seen him do anything else where I've really liked it or cared enough that I would go, wow, I wish he would do that again. And that's including um, was it Horrible Bosses, I think? He was in Horrible Bosses, right? I'm pretty sure he was in Horrible Bosses. Yeah, both of them. Yeah, so he was in okay, so he was in both Horrible Bosses. Uh, you know, he, that one was moderately okay. But I mean he's just he's just completely terrible. He's like this, you know, uh braggadotes fucking gangster wannabe. Uh, arms dealer kind of guy, right? And of course he's supposed to be a slime ball, but again, he overplays the hand. And that's the thing. All these characters, Zachary Quinto, I don't even know what the fuck he's doing in this movie. He overplays the hand. And for as little as Jeff Goldblum is in here, he even overplays his hand as a character. All these people overplay their characters. With the exception of Dave Bautista, I thought he Did well. Um, you know, Sophia Butella, she, she's supposed to be the femme fatale. With this deceiving heart of gold, at least for her one person. And it just, again, totally overplays the hand. And it ruins the story. Even though there are fun aspects to the story. And there's fun aspects to the limited amount of action that's going on in the film while the primary focus is on Jodie Foster and her experience as the nurse or the head of the facility or whatever, and how she interacts with trying to reconcile the rules of the facility versus what's happening because of the riots versus how she tries to escape her anxieties as a result of her son and being trapped inside this place for 22 years. Virtually everything else is just overplayed. Um, it's not a terrible movie, but it's really not a great movie either. It's got some sparks of life to it, but mainly... And the character ideas are really interesting, but everything is just overplayed. And in such a small scale, you have to get the characters right. Um I think overall, again, Sterling K. Brown did the best job, but that's not enough to save this kind of a movie. Um You know, I, but it's not it's not the worst thing you're ever gonna see and and in terms of mindless action fun there's a bit of that to be had as well the science fiction fun that you might find is kind of meh but that's also something that's worth looking into especially against the backdrop of this dystopian place that they're in I give this one uh, I wish I had a way to split two and a half and two point seven five but there's no way to do that so we're just going to say 2.5. It's okay. It's an okay movie. And that's, that's where I'm going to stop. What do you got there, Tim? I'm going to have
1: to give it a 2.5 as well. I enjoyed probably the most the first... 30 minutes or so because they kind of throw everything what you could expect or what you're expecting pretty much into that first 30 minutes and then it's more of the same until when some of the fighting happens there at the end of the flick i thought overall it was a waste of a fun premise and an interesting world they actually built i really don't have too much more to add Because I absolutely agree with you, Matt. The characters were overworked. I think it's definitely Drew Pierce's fault he wrote and directed this movie. Uh, The downfall of this flick is the, the backstory, especially the dramatic nature of Jodie Foster's nurse character. For instance, when Jenny Slate, who plays a police officer named Morgan, I don't want to spoil too much of this movie because it's easy to spoil this movie but jenny slate plays morgan who's a cop one of the top rules at hotel artemis is that no cops are allowed and the nurse breaks that rule because she knows who this character is at the same time the dude the white wolf or whatever he's called is injured and he has to find shelter at hotel artemis But the nurse won't let them in because she has a policy. Regardless of who you are, it's first come, first serve. If they find out that she let in a cop before the White Wolf... Or whatever he's called, they're gonna be pissed and more than likely shoot up the joint and even kill the nurse. Well, at the same time, as all this is going on, she keeps having these flashbacks to a son of hers who she apparently lost. So, because of this cop in here, everything's in jeopardy. Everybody is gonna be fucked. Well, nothing ever comes out of that. And so it just seemed a little bit pointless in a way it felt like something else could have been done with that character other than build it up and only being used as exposition in its own way to show you how frightened the uh, Jodie Foster's character is of going outside and what she is actually willing to do to break the rules and on top of that you also have the dialogue was its biggest downfall Charlie Day as Acapulco is fun But he is used way too much without any substance at all. And the same can be said with Zachary Quinto, who just whines and yells. So that is why I as well give Hotel Artemis a 2.5. Originally, I wanted to give it a 3 because I like the look of it. And yes, the movie was made on a budget. It made it that much more pleasant to watch. But I just wanted to see them take more risks and have a little bit more fun. Maybe that would have meant get rid of the robbery at the beginning of the movie. So that they would have more money to do a little bit more there at the hotel. I mean, I don't I don't know. But I would have liked to have seen more. Because also, the threat of the raid. Not the raid. The, the threat of the people rioting was never that big of a threat. Other than the lights going out. I wanted to see the people like at the hotel's doors. About to break in. And that's really escalating the situation, regardless, two point five out of five, I think some people
0: will get a kick out of it. Where do you want to go from here, sir? How about oceans eight? Oceans eight this believe it or not, my winner of the week. I mean, are such you as, really such as they are? Hey, don't worry. you're gonna you're it's not like it's a huge win. <laughs>
2: do you know this one? No. Debbie Ocean, convicted felon. Her brother, Danny Ocean, more convicted felon. She was present on the night of the incident. So? So you want to hit a jewelry store? Not exactly. The diamond mine. Yes, that's exactly right. Or what? The Met. Three and a half weeks, the Met will be hosting its annual ball, and we are going to rob it. $16.5 million in each of your bank accounts five weeks from now. That's a lot. They've got every inch of this place covered. This is the most sophisticated security in the world. How long did it take you to figure all this out? Five years, eight months, and 12 days. Why do you need to do this? Because it's what I'm good at. Okay, everybody, let's get started. Here we go. Counting down, three, two... We will not be the prime suspect. Wait, 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 wait! Every time you move it, it, they have to start from scratch. What did you you do? do? Turn it on.
0: Yeah, 2018 American Heist comedy film directed by Gary Ross. And, uh, it's clearly a spin off of the Ocean's Eleven franchise that was revitalized back in 2001 with George Clooney and Brad Pitt, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, what we have here in this particular version is we have Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Anne Hathaway, Mindy Kaling, Sarah Paulson, uh, Aquafina, uh, uh, Rihanna, and Helena Bonham Carter and sandra bullock is debbie ocean who is danny ocean's sister and she has her own plans for stealing a 150 million dollar necklace cartier necklace from the met uh during their annual gala so that yeah so that's basically the idea behind the movie now um I will say that this movie is remarkably fun. I actually the the wife and I did this on a date night on Saturday. I think it was, and uh yeah, and so we went to the seven fifteen so I mean it was a packed house on a Saturday night and uh that is probably buoying my response to the film because the audience definitely was into it and my wife thought it was funny and everything and i gotta say that it was it was pretty fun to revisit the world and i think that's what they got right where they where they tried too hard to be clever, where they tried too hard to oversaturate with wacky characters, a la Helena Bottom Carter, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, uh Anne Hathaway playing a you know, idiot celebrity. Um you know, and where they tried too hard to be overtly sophisticated just for the sake of overt sophistication, because hey, this is an oceans film they but they the thing that they got right was they got the feel of the world that the that the oceans movies happen in and they got the feel for how the heists are supposed to work out for having something unexpected happen within the realm of the heist that everything gets planned for and It helps because when you're in that world and when you're, and when you buy into the, to the setting, you're more apt to look past a lot of the faults that the movie presents you. And again, um, Helen Bottom Carter is like the key thing here to, to point to when you say, Dear God, what the hell did they think they were doing? She plays this very weird, you know maybe even borderline autistic fashion designer who is who's basically kind of like the key person to help the mark which is daphne kluger played again by anne hathaway into tricking her into wearing this piece from cartier And, and when you watch her try and act around it, and then of course you have Aquafina, who is the, uh, who's this this thief, you know, she's like a pickpocket and everything. But, you know, you got all these different weird things that are doing. And, and yet, they also have little people come back, like Elliot Gould makes a small appearance in the film. And, And, you know, you get like other kickbacks from the Oceans franchise that, just kind of help make those things fit and that's why i ended up liking the movie as much as i did it really came down to just getting the feel of the world right also strong performances for despite the despite the rest of the ensemble cast doing as best as they could with what they were given sandra bullock and kate blanchett are very very strong actresses in their own right and did a great job of putting together some good on-screen chemistry the biggest flaw of this film outside of some of the wacky characters a la helena bonham carter is the last 20 minutes of the movie they which is where you actually see james corden come in he's an insurance fraud investigator who's looking into the heist and that's the biggest problem is that this movie takes too long to get to its big reveal. It takes too long to get to its fun conclusion, as it were, because they need to work in how it is they're actually getting away with what happened. And it's, it's just, it, it muddies the waters and then takes away from the fun of the heist. And that's where truly the world of the movie stops and I'm just kind of sitting there going, when's the movie going to end? So despite those failings, being in a positive audience uh, session of the film, or viewing of the film, plus sitting next to my wife who's clearly enjoying it, kind of infected me. But the world building was there, and I really liked it. Not to mention that strong bond, or at least on-stream chemistry with Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett, gives this movie a whopping 3.5. So... It's not like it's a spectacular film but it's likable enough and i can see why audiences are going to go see it it was the number one movie this weekend and will more than likely be the um still be in the top five uh this weekend as well despite the upcoming releases of incredibles 2 tags coming out uh, pretty quickly uh, and and the like so yeah 3.5 what do you got there tim
1: it's not a it's by no means a bad movie it's just very difficult not to compare it to the other oceans movies because it's trying very hard to capture that same feeling that same tone and it kind of does but when it doesn't it's not like adding anything new you know like it's not taking any other risks uh, i i thought the reveal itself and what's important with these movies these heist movies where there's like a a twist at the end like oh no this is what happened it was a little underwhelming i think the biggest issue i had was with the characters not how they were performed anne hathaway and helena bonham carter for me they stole the movie (laughs) all these great women are in this movie but the characters they all necessarily don't serve a purpose for example major spoiler alert they bring back a character from the original movies to actually carry out the stealing portion of the heist. And then you have a character played by Rihanna, Nineball. She's only called Nineball because she has this fancy billiards ball that has the nine on up the nine ball. I guess she uses as her mouse that also is like the code for her to access her computer i don't know that was a little unnecessary but she has to call in a favor from her sister who has to drive over to give them something so that the rest of the movie can carry on and i thought that was a little unneeded if it was handled differently maybe it would have worked i don't know it seemed like you had all these competent characters that should have been able to have done what they needed to do without any outside help. And what this movie was trying to aim for, it felt like it was a slap in the face for having the one character from the all-male Oceans movies to actually come in and be the one who, in some way, is responsible for carrying out the actual stealing portion of the heist. That was my big issue. I, too, saw it on a Friday night, opening night, around 7 o'clock. I was surrounded by women who were there either by themselves or they were there with their girlfriends. And I had a good time. The experience itself deserves more than what I'm giving it. And pretty much what I have to say doesn't really matter to a lot of you who are going to go and see this movie. But I wanted it to be smarter three out of five oceans eight for me
0: excellent all right well then that leaves us with hereditary
2: come on peter there's your suit it's heartening to see so many strange new faces here today i know my mom would be very touched and probably a little suspicious My mother was a very secretive and private woman. That's grandma. You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you were a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. She was a very difficult woman, which maybe explains me. I recognize you from your mother. What? Sometimes I swear I can feel them in the room. She isn't gone. She had private rituals, private friends. Who's gonna take care of me? You don't think I'm gonna take care of you? But when you died. And she wasn't altogether there <laughs> at the end. Mom? I don't like this. Dad, I don't like this. What's happening? Don't you ever raise your voice to me? I am your mother, raise your mom! Mom, what's happening?
0: I just don't want to put any more stress on my family. All right. So Hereditary, 2018 American supernatural horror film written and directed by Ari Aster, uh, feature directorial debut. Actually, it's the second one because Drew Pierce had his feature directorial debut with Hotel Artemis. And, uh, yeah, stars Tony Collette, Alex Wolfe, Millie Shapiro, and Dowd at Gabriel Byrne, follows a family basically that uh starts more or less being haunted after the grandmother dies um so yeah that's kind of where we're at um shenanigans ensue as i always said so i don't want to spoil this movie uh and i'm not going to i can actually do this without spoiling the movie on a technical level on a purely technical level especially in terms of cinematography and in terms of lighting, I think that this movie is something to behold. And this movie deserves to be seen based on those two things alone. I think that, again, on and again technical level, I think the acting was also pretty goddamn good acting but beyond the technical aspects of the physical acting in and of itself the lighting and the cinematography everything else has just varying degrees of train wreck written all over it and i i know that's a very strong sentiment and let me explain I think that there was a great deal of miscasting going on in the film. I know that critics are loving this film. I also know that CinemaScore gives this film from an audience rating a D+. Um, I went and saw this movie last night. We're recording uh, as we stand. It's uh, the, the 11th of June as we record. But uh, So I went and saw this on a Sunday night. And it was, again, almost a full theater And this was even the last show of the night, and it was still an almost full theater. And the audience just wasn't into it. The first 20 minutes of the film, actually almost the first 30 minutes of this film, are just incredibly slow and and oddly paced. But the pacing is done as a deliberate act. And again, it's to put into you the idea of things being unsettling and things being confusing and trying and the lack of understanding is used as an element of the horror and i applaud the idea and the effort because that's for me that's some of the best horror Or in your life, things that have truly scared you and upset you and that you have to come to terms with and grips with are things that you either don't understand or things that you can't get a grip on or can't get a handle on. These are the things that scare you. And when you don't understand and you're trying to figure out something and it's just not giving you time, not to mention things are creepy and slow, then you're looking for things to focus on and sometimes you can't and again this starts to build tension in a film on a technical level it's really good the technical aspect side of it but the delivery the actual viewing of it doesn't help it's it just makes it slow and you're left instead to start to pick apart the characters themselves and the characters themselves are heavily miscast I, I i'm sorry i thought alex wolf was fun in the limited role that i saw him uh, when we saw him in jumanji welcome to the jungle um i, I believe he is a good actor I, and again i think in terms of his acting it is good but the character itself i'm I mean, I'm just looking at him from a purely physiological standpoint, and even given some of the dialogue within the film, to try and explain it away, he just doesn't look like he should be the son in this family. You look at Millie Shapiro, who is um, also someone that just, like... I don't know. You just don't get the feel that she should be the daughter of the pairing of Tony Collette and Gabriel Byrne. Um, but, and, and then, you know, and, and, and then you've got the acting on top of that of the characterization of Tony Collette, who has some really great moments, but you just kind of start wondering what the fuck is actually going on and as the movie continues to pace forward and things are actually starting to build towards something you're just kind of left watching again these characters become over they overplay their hands again not to the level of parody and failure that you get in hotel artemis but at the same time to the point that there is a particular scene in the film where a séance occurs, and Alex Wolf character Alex Wolf's character gets very, very upset. Uh, Peter is his name in the movie. This character's name. He gets very upset, and he just kind of wails. And on its own, you could see how this would be a very powerful scene. But because of the way that the film has portrayed everything going in, and there's and people have lost have have basically lost their concentration and things have become more outlandish than scary, the entire audience laughs. And I'm like, wow, they literally, it broke the audience. And now the audience is no longer involved in the movie. They're literally spending the last 40 minutes of the movie laughing at it. And it doesn't become anything that is exciting other than certain aspects of again the cinematography and the lighting oh my god just so good but how, how did
1: your how did your audience react to the
0: ending a little bit okay so again the certain aspects that have now reached the absurd they still laughed at but when peter wakes up and uh and, and mom is where she is and it and if you're not i i would imagine Film, you know, solid film veterans, horror veterans, um, immediately know what to look for and could see what was happening. But I could literally hear the... Oh my God, you could literally hear in the audience as they started going, their eyes literally adjust to the lighting. And it, that was pretty cool. I, you know, so that was pretty cool. And so those kinds of aspects of it, I thought the audience received. But unfortunately with the uh again trying not to spoil anything uh certain aspects of the nudity shall we say um it again just ended up being laughed at so it wasn't taken as well as it could have been but um you know i don't know and and so and and i wasn't and i wasn't buying into it either at that point they it's like they wasted the opportunity and instead of it being something that was truly scary and truly horrifying you're just sitting there going and i'm sorry i guess i lied i can't do this without spoiling the film um this movie gets a 2.75 from me and the movie gets a 2.75 based on all of its technical aspects and the aspiration of the ideas of what it was trying to do on a technical level um its execution is severely flawed um and that's why it gets a 2.75 i still maintain that purely on a technical level cinematography and lighting especially you should absolutely see this movie so small spoiler alert for me on this one here so give it about 20 seconds and then pick back up for tim um basically when the movie revealed itself to just be the witch or the witch, i guess you know um but set in a modern setting, I was just kind of like, Wow, A twenty four is turning into a one twerk pony, what the fuck? And that killed the ending for me. And 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 you get that reveal you get that reveal about ten minutes before it happens. So even if you hadn't put it together, they're pretty much telling you. And then when the actual ending happens and you see that it is quite literally the same thing as the as the witch just set in a modern time, I was just kinda like, eh, I'm done. Uh, And uh, that was it. So that's, and that's why I said Oceans 8 was the winner, but not by a whole lot. So, yeah. Uh, So bring us home, Tim. I definitely enjoyed Hereditary.
1: I I think it's, it's a good movie. Unfortunately, of course, in all the advertisements, people are going to say it's the scariest movie you'll see this year. It's the most scariest movie since whatever popular scary movie came out a year or two ago. The one thing I read the most and heard of the most before going into this movie was that it's more about dread, feeling the sense of dread, rather than being frightened by a whole bunch of jump scares. In fact, other than maybe one real jump scare... I can't really think of... I don't think there's really none other.
0: I agree. I I 100% agree with you. And I did truly appreciate that. That there was no... That there's really only one jump scare in the whole movie. And everything else is a feeling of dread. So thank you for bringing that up because I forgot.
1: And it's a great jump scare too. Yes. I don't want to spoil it either. Somebody... Like you think somebody is located somewhere else. And they're fucking not. (laughs) And to me that works. Because... You think you got a grip on what's happening, and then clearly it's not happening the way you think it is, which is scary in its own. There are a lot of, again, visual aspects and tonal aspects I really liked. Matt mentioned briefly the naked people. (laughs) They may or may not be a part of a cult. To me, that is fucking frightening. Now, how do you explain that they just appear because I thought they were just normal human beings, but apparently they can appear in an attic (laughs) in the corner, because I'm pretty sure we didn't see them there whenever, you know, that particular scene begins. Yeah, that happens. But I mean, overall, I think the look of them is very effective. There's a lot of stuff, if you pay attention, there's a lot of stuff lurking in the shadows. So, if you're one like me that likes to look for the scares, you'll be pretty satisfied because what I liked about the direction of this movie is that they're not trying to fool you. They were just trying to tell a good story. Think of along the lines of Rosemary's Baby. I look at Rosemary's Baby. I don't consider it a scary movie. It's a horror film, but it's not a scary film. I think the idea of what's happening to this woman because I care about Rosemary. I, I'd hate to see her go through this. To me that's a little scary because I'm scared for her. But I'm not feeling scared. That's kind of how I felt with Hereditary. People automatically call it a horror film, and there are definitely horror and you know scary elements. But more so, I just felt bad for this family. I felt bad for Tony Collette. I felt bad for the little girl. Then I start feeling really bad for the son. Ultimately, that's what kept this movie on good grounds, despite its narrative and logic pitfalls. And uh, that's why I give Hereditary a four out of five. I look at it more as uh, more like a drama. However, the last maybe minute or two kind of sort of falls apart because there has to be rules with every horror movie in some way there has to be rules and again if you have these people who may or may not be a part of a cult just randomly appearing in dark corners has that been established are they from another realm or something i don't know just the movie after i saw it i was trying to think of another film That starts off one way, and by the end of it, you find out, oh, it's actually a really good found footage movie, and he goes to visit this house, because there's, like, a woman who is supposed to get an exorcism, and he was supposed to be the one to film it. Well, it turns out everybody in this town doesn't want the woman to receive an exorcism because they want the demon to take over her body and so you don't find this out until the end of the movie like the last like 10 minutes or so or however long it was and it's frightening how it's shot it's actually it makes you feel unsafe this is what hereditary needed it needed the audience to leave this movie going i don't know if i should be around all these people (laughs) because I don't know if I could trust them or not. I know it's a movie, and I know I know it's not the case. But I feel very weird. Instead, the people at my screening, and the screening was packed, I heard like 20 different people go, man, that ending was fucking whack. Anyways, it's still a good movie. Go and see it. If you're easily scared, then you're going to love it. You're going to have a great time, so go check it out. But I give it 4 out of 5
0: fair enough fair enough all right that brings us to the end of the movies next week's movies are going to be adrift incredibles 2 and tag and without further ado i believe it is now time for the spiel is it not sir spiel on
2: oh stewardess i speak jive oh good he said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him all right. Would you tell him to just relax, and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine. Just hang loose, blood. She's gonna catch up on the rebound on the medside. side? Uh. What it is, big mama! My mama raised no dummies. I duck her rap. Cut me some slack, Jack. Hey, hey, say just cutting, Charlie. Hey, hey, say we. Say jumping. the one to help. Chunk Chunk say don't say get the help. Say can't hang. Say seven up. Jive ass dude don't got no brains in it.
0: Right, well the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solas. You can check them out at reverbnation.com and facebook.com, both slash Crys of solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS cast. You can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast. Dot com. You can follow us on Twitter, at the SLScast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter, at nitwit12345. You can, of course, comment more that information, Super and track down Tim him on Twitter, if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio, or track us down on the old SoundCloud. You can also reach out to us and support the show, if you like, by getting out on the old Patreon. And so, until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Sterling K. Brown. I get to say this. The prism through which you experience life is so unique. There is no objective experience. Take care, cinephiles. We'll talk at you again
1: next week.
2: Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, very well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you.
1: And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur.